Good morning. Welcome. We're in this sermon series we started last week called Breaker Downer. It's kind of a play on words, sort of, with the HGTV series uh, Fixer Upper. We're trying to break down. What are we breaking down? We're breaking down those walls, those problems, those situations that we have to overcome. And through God, we can overcome. Last week, the big lesson was, was shrink it down to size. Of course, we're using the story of the Battle of Jericho for this whole series. And, and as you remember, the strategy for, for the walls of Jericho was they marched around the city six days, one time a day, and then on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times, so they let out a holler, and the walls came tumbling down. And so last week, when we were talking about shrinking it down to size, it's saying take those situations, that diagnosis, that problem, that circumstance, and in light of God comparing to God, then, then that, that problem instantly shrinks down to size. Our lesson today is God has a plan. Now, sometimes God's plans seem crazy. I mean, they, they just seem so odd, so, so insane, you might say. God asked the children of Israel to march around that city six, every day, once a day, for six days, and on the seventh day, to march around it seven times. Now, now I don't know much about military strategy, but I got to think this is bad military strategy. Usually the idea is to sneak up on, the, on your opponent, maybe if it's a walled city, cut off the water supply and kind of wait them out. But instead of that, this is, this is how God instructed Joshua. He says this in Joshua 6, verses 3 through 5. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing their trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on their trumpets, have the whole army give a shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone straight in. Now, again, I'm no military expert. In our first service, we have a guy, John Falconbridge. He went to West Point. He's a West Point graduate. And so I asked him, I, you know, is this, is this, they have military strategy classes. They wouldn't have taught this lesson at all. You know, let's, let's have a parade. Instead of sneaking up quietly, you know, uh, uh, trying to be sneaky about it, uh, let's have a parade. Let's march around it six times, 13 times in all. And let the army, you know, if they have archers in Jericho, let them, you know, uh, shoot us with their, their bows and arrows as we're marching around. That's a crazy strategy. Who would come up with this strategy? But the crazy thing is, when, and I don't know how God communicated this to Joshua. The Bible doesn't say, did he... Did he audibly give him this lesson? Was there anyone around it? Did, was it just Joshua that heard these instructions? I'm not sure. But I know this, when Joshua communicated that to the people, not one person in Joshua 6, no one came up to him and said, Joshua, that's the dumbest plan ever. We can't march around the city every once a day for six days and on the seventh day march around seven times. That's crazy. That will never work. You don't read that in Joshua chapter 6. Instead, what you read simply in Joshua 6, 8, it says, and they went forward. They trusted God's plan, and they went forward. They forged ahead. They, they, they went forward with God's plan as crazy as it sounded. Listen, God has a plan for your life. When you follow that plan, you get on the road that God would have you to, to, to be traveling, and you follow that plan, even when it doesn't make sense, you go forward, and those plans will go well. The prophet Isaiah reminded us of God's words when he said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Sometimes we don't always know. 
And sometimes it, it may not always make sense. But when we follow God's plans, God always honors that faithfulness. It's crazy that God would have these soldiers march around Israel for six days and seven times on the seventh day. And yet, it worked. It's not surprising that God's plans work out. Now, it might be surprising to your non-Christian friends. When they, when they hear some of your plans, or they, they, when you start following after God, your non-Christian friends, your non-believing friends, they may scratch their head and say, what in the world? That, that doesn't make sense at all. I have some friends that left lucrative careers in the business world to become pastors and missionaries. And their bosses and the people at their workplace, they scratch their head, that doesn't make any sense, doesn't make any sense at all. I have a very good friend who, who was a CFO of a company, and if I told you the name of the company, you would all know it, it's a very large company. He was making seven figures a year. The problem was he was working in New Jersey and his family lived in Kansas City, and so every week he would fly out on Monday morning and come back on Friday as kids were getting older. And so he walked into the CEO's office one day and he said, you know what? I'm quitting. And the CEO couldn't understand. He said, what are you doing? You're throwing your, your career away. You'll never get another job that pays you as much as what you're making right now. And he said, no, I'll never have another opportunity to be the dad to my kids that I have right now. And, and, he, and, he, and he quit his job. I don't feel too sorry for him. He, he, he didn't work for, for, for a few years in there, uh, not like a regular job anyway, but he landed on his feet and he's now leading another big company. All that to say, sometimes people, to non-believing people, God's instructions seem like foolishness. Why in the world would you tithe 10%? That just seems crazy. Why in the world would you have to get into a tub of water and, 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 and go under to, to declare your faith? Can't you just sign your name someplace? Why be baptized? That just seems crazy. Which, by the way, we're having a baptism service here in a couple of weeks on the first Sunday in November. And if you've never been baptized, that's a great, great opportunity to do that. That'll be our all-in Sunday. It's going to be a great Sunday. Why do that? That doesn't make any sense. I had a mom tell me this week that her daughter is a Christian and her, and her fiancé was a Christian and now they're married, and, and she is asking her about her, her faith if she shares her faith at work. And her daughter said, Mom, everybody knows we're, we're Christians. She said, well, how do they know you're Christians? And she said, because me and, now her husband, we didn't live together before we got married. Everybody does, but we didn't. And then when, so when they, when, when they ask us about it, why didn't you they say, well, it's because we're Christians. See, the world, it just doesn't make sense. Everybody, everybody has, has sex before marriage, not according to God's word. Foolishness. Paul, Paul told us that's how it would be, that people would, would look at the idea that God would send his son, born in a manger, raised as, to become a man, went to the cross, was killed, dead, buried, three days. And not only did he raise again, but we believe that Jesus is not only alive, but he's coming again. And Paul said that great truth in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. See, there comes a point in your life when you're facing your own personal Jericho. I mean, a really big deal. When you have to ask yourself, am I going to trust God that he's going to see me and help me to overcome this? that he's going to be by my side like he promised he would, that as long as I follow his plan and trust in him, he's going to be with me and I can overcome. 
See, when we're facing those personal Jerichos in our life, it may seem crazy to the rest of the people around us, maybe our family and friends who, who, who don't know Jesus. And it may seem to them like, what in the world are you doing? You know, you can never make through this. You, 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 can't, you can't overcome this problem. But for those of us who know the power of Jesus Christ, who knows that he has promised to be by us, when we do the right thing, the godly thing, the holy thing, then the battle, the battle, like we talked about last week, the battle belongs to the Lord. Well, God's plan for Jericho didn't begin just in, jo- in, in Joshua 6. It actually began back in Joshua 2. And that's when some spies went into Jericho to, to kind of figure out the lay of the land. And when they got there, they met a lady, I use that term loosely, named Rahab. Like you and I, Rahab was on a spiritual journey. And her journey, when these spies encountered her, she was headed in the wrong, wrong direction. The, the, the truth is told in no uncertain terms because the Bible tells us that the spies entered the house of the prostitute named Rahab. Now, there's no way of sugarcoating that. It, 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 you can't make that uh, sound better than it does. Some Bible translations have tried to clean up her image and said that she was an innkeeper, but, but really you can't do that in the Hebrew. I mean, she was what she was. She was a prostitute. Not only was, was she a prostitute, but we would then say, because of that, I mean, all of us, who, who have even the, the slightest moral uh, standards would say, all right, she's headed down the wrong road. If that's her profession, she's headed down the wrong road. It gets worse for Rahab. In chapter 2, verses 2 through 7, tells us how, how the king came to the best little harlot house in Jericho and said that he had gotten word from some of the folks down at Vice Squad that there were some shady characters hanging out at her place. And she said, oh, you're right, O king. There was a couple of guys. I think I know who you're talking about. They left probably 20 minutes ago. And if you, ca- if, you go, if you go right now, you'll probably catch up to them. So the king and his security forces took off like keystone cops on a wild goose chase. And when they were gone, Rahab hightailed it to the roof where she had the spies hiding out. As far as she was concerned, the customer was always right. And so she told them what she had told the king and told them that, that, that he had gone in the opposite direction. She had no intentions of... Of, of, of squealing on them. Now, up until this point, again, Rahab is traveling down the wrong road. We already knew she was a prostitute. Now we know that she's a liar and she has no loyalties to her hometown king. That's who she is. She's headed down the wrong road. But then in verse 8 of chapter 2, she begins to plead for mercy. She says, I know the Lord has given you the land, this land to you and that a great fear of you has befallen us. We have heard how the Lord did this and did that. And when we heard it, our hearts sank. Rahab is beginning to realize that she is, she is in need of help. The people of Jericho, the inhabitants of her hometown, are in trouble. They could just look across the Jordan River and see the, the massive people on the other side. They knew they were in trouble. They had heard how God had, had rescued them out of Egypt. By then, at Egypt at that time was the world's superpower. How God not only had rescued them out of Egypt, but how they walked across the, 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 the Red Sea on dry land. The, how God had, had provided for them for those 40 years that they were wandering around. And how, how they had annihilated the two kings and the two cities on the other side of the Jordan River in Og and Sihon. So she knew all of that. And old street savvy Rahab looked out her bedroom window and realized that, that she was in trouble too. And so she begins to, to plead for mercy. Listen, in your spiritual journey, before you can get moving in the right direction, you need to evaluate where you are right now. You need to recognize your current reality. 
Anyone familiar with a 12-step program like our Celebrate Recovery that meets on Friday night? Great, great program. They know this. Before there's healing, before there's help, the person has to recognize there's a problem. An alcoholic won't quit drinking until he realizes he's got a problem. A drug addict won't quit using drugs until they realize they got a problem. And you can't get on the right road spiritually until you recognize that you have a problem in your life. That's why sometimes I tell people that, that nice people are the hardest people to come to know Jesus. Because they're nice and they're, and they're basically good and they, you know, they pay their taxes and they go to work and, they, and they're responsible citizens. And the problem is that they're just as good as the next guy. But the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Even nice people, even Billy Graham, even Mother Teresa, even you and me, we've, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all, every single person needs Jesus. And so, so that's, that's, we, we all need God. Now, the Bible is very clear that God will use a number of things to remind us of, of, and to help us to assess our present reality. Sometimes he uses preachers like me in sermons like this. And sometimes he'll use a song. Maybe you'll hear it on the radio when you're, when you're driving down the road and it'll spark a memory. Sometimes he'll use a crisis Maybe the, uh, a sickness or the death of a loved one or something like that that will, that will remind you that, you that you aren't where you need to be. In fact, I had a friend of mine not, not too long ago tell me that he was sitting in a funeral service for a friend of his that passed away, young, young man. And, and he said as that service was going on, he, he, it was as if God was, was sitting next to him and said, said, what if it was you in that casket? What would you tell me about why you should get into heaven? And as that funeral service was going on, that's what my friend was thinking about. And eventually he came to a place and he recognized that he was on the wrong road and he needed Jesus in his life. God will sometimes use circumstances like that. In Rahab's, in Rahab's situation, she recognized she was in trouble. She looked out her bedroom window, saw all those troops. She said, all right, we're in trouble. Milton Cunningham is a missionary and he tells a, a story that I think illustrates this pretty well. He was flying from... Uh, uh, Dallas to Atlanta. And when he got on the plane, uh, he discovered he was in the middle seat. Don't you hate it when you're in the middle seat? Carla and I have a rule. If the person sitting next to the window is a male, then I get the middle seat. If the person sitting next to the window is a female, then she gets the middle seat. I don't know why it seems like there's always a guy sitting by the window, but that's, you know, just my problems. Milton Cunningham, he was traveling alone and his seat was the middle seat. And so he sat down. There was a, a young lady sitting next to him, next to the window, and uh, she, was, she had Down syndrome, and he sat down next to her, and no sooner had he sat down than the, than the young lady looked over at him and said, Mister, Mister, did you brush your teeth this morning? <laughs> he thought that was kind of an odd question, but, you know, recognizing where the question was coming, he said, well, yes, yes, honey, I did. I, I brushed my teeth this morning. She said, good, because everybody's supposed to brush their teeth every morning. He said, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. She said, mister, do you smoke? Again, he kind of smiled, said, said no, 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 I, I don't smoke. I don't smoke. She said, good, because smoking will kill you. He goes, yeah, that's, that's what I've heard. She said, mister, do you love Jesus? And he smiled again, said, yes, as a matter of fact, I'm a missionary. I love Jesus very, very much. She said, good, because everybody ought to love Jesus. Well, right about that time, a, a guy came in and sat on the aisle seat next to to Reverend Cunningham, and he started reading this magazine, and the girl on the, by the window started nudging. Uh, Reverend Cunningham said, ask him if he brushed his teeth this morning. 
So I want to ask him if he brushed his... Ask him, ask him, ask him. So Reverend Cunningham interrupted the guy reading his magazine, said, sir, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to bother you, but my friend here, she wants to know if you brushed your teeth this morning. And he looked over and saw the, the girl next to the window, and he smiled, and he said, well, yes, you tell her that I brushed my teeth this morning. She's, and she's, he's, so he did. He said, ask him, ask him, ask him if he smokes. I don't want to ask him if he smokes. Ask him if he smokes. You know where this is headed, don't you? <laughs> Sir, uh, do you smoke? My friend wants to know. No, I don't smoke. Okay, great. Ask him if he loves Jesus. No, no. And remember Cunningham said, now, you know, I really don't think that's a little personal. I don't want to ask him, ask him, ask him, ask him. She was getting louder. So he finally said, Sir, she wants to know one more question. Do, do you love Jesus? Now, the guy could have flippantly answered that question like he had the first two. It would have been very easy to just say, you know, yes or no or whatever. But he looked at Reverend Cunningham, this veteran missionary, and he said, you know, I, I'd like to say yes, but I really don't know Jesus. He said, it's not that I don't want to know him. I do want to know him. I've just never had anybody tell me about Jesus. He goes, in fact, there's things going on in my life right now that I really need to be a person of faith but I really don't know Jesus. And so that gave an opening for Reverend Cunningham to, to talk to this man. And the man shared his brokenness between Atlanta and, or Dallas and Atlanta. And through that time, Reverend Cunningham was able to share his faith. And by the time they landed, that man had given his life over to Jesus. All because of a girl asking some simple questions. You know, God used their plan. God has a plan for Rahab. The plan was, was looking out and seeing all the, 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 the troops on the on the on the on the shoreline, and she knew she was in trouble. She knew that she had to evaluate her life circumstance, that if she was going to make a change, she needed to do something. So the next step in, in Rahab's spiritual journey is she declared her, her belief in God. In chapter 2, verse 11, she says this to the spies, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. After all she'd been taught, in, in, in Jericho, after all the lessons about Canaanite gods or this God or that God, she recognized that those gods were phony gods and there was only one true God. Just like in, spiritual, in Rahab's spiritual journey, there comes a point when we need to recognize that, that there really is a God. He really does care for us. He really does have a plan for our life. That God is who he says he is. See, before you can become the person you want to be, before you can become the person God wants you to be, you need to recognize that God needs to have a place in your life. You need to admit that, that God and only God can place you on the right road. You can't do that on your own. You, you can't get to where you want to go all on your own. If we were to take a survey, I, I dare say that every single one of us would say, you know, we've made some New Year's resolutions, or we've made some promises, or we've made some statements. I'm going to change. I'm really going to change. This time I'm serious, only to not have that change, or at least not have that change last. The only way to get on the right road spiritually is to allow God to place you on that road. Allow God to, to do something in your life that you can't do on your own. That's the only way. It's not your hard work. It's not your whatever you, you might do. It's not, uh, you can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't do any of those things. It's a free gift from God, and he's the only one that can put us on that road. The fourth step for Rahab's spiritual journey is she accepted those terms for her, her salvation. The spy said, listen, Rahab, this is what you got to do. We're going to come in here, and we are going to come in here. And if you and your family want to be saved, you've got to get everybody in this house, and you've got to tie a red cord around the doorpost so we know exactly where you're at. We're not going to go searching through Jericho looking for your family. Anyone who's in your house, they're going to make it. Anyone outside, they're not. 
And Rahab said, okay, you got yourself a deal. Listen, God won't do anything in your life unless you allow him to. God doesn't force himself on anybody. If you are determined to make bad choices and, and bad choices and bad choices in your life, guess what? God's going to let you do just that. I've known plenty of people who have eliminated God in their life, who've made bad choice after bad choice after bad choice, and it's left them in a mess. This isn't rocket science. If you eliminate God from your life and you make bad choices, your life will become a mess. But to get out of that mess, it's as simple as just asking God to do it. It's simple, really. The final step for, for Rahab comes in Joshua 6 when they do come in and Rahab and her family are saved. Actually, that's not the final step. The final step, or the final chapter in Rahab's life isn't in Joshua, the book of Joshua at all. In fact, it's not even in the Old Testament. The final chapter in Rahab's life is in Matthew chapter 1 in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 1, that's one of those passages that you think is boring and you skip over it and you don't read it. But, but I get blessed every time I read Matthew chapter 1. That's the begat list. You know, Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat, you know, blah, blah, blah. And right there in that begat list of Jesus, there's an awesome sight. Because in verse 5, it says this, Salmon begat Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Salmon begat Boaz, whose mother at one time was living in Jericho, was a prostitute, was about as far removed from God as you can possibly be, and yet now she's listed right there for everybody to see, right in God's family. That lying, prostitute, Gentile person is now in Jesus' family tree. What, what that tells me is that anybody, 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 no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, anybody can be a part of God's plan. God, God not only wants you, God, God will strive to have you be a part of his plan. God loves everybody, wants everybody to make it in life. God wants everybody to be on the right road. And so the big lesson for us is, are you, God has a plan for your life. That's the lesson for today. Are you where God wants you to be? See, if God had a plan for a Jericho City prostitute, he certainly has a plan for you. And it's a good plan. One of my favorite verses is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that says, for, for he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. What that means is God's plan is not, uh, does not require your failures, does not require your past uh, mistakes and all the rest. In fact, those things that are your weaknesses, those things that have drug you down, those things God's power can be at work in. That's what it's saying. I don't think that God Almighty really has any uh, uh, interest in beating you over the head with all your mistakes and all your problems and all your past. He's, he's concerned about your today and what you're doing today. And are you on the road today? See, maybe your, your spiritual journey has taken you down one bad road after another, after another, after another. You don't need a preacher like me telling you that you're on the, on the wrong road. You already know it. And the issue isn't, isn't where you're at. The issue is, are you willing to change your road? Are you willing to, 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 to allow God to do a work in your life? I tell people all the time that it's as easy as A, B, C, A, admit. Admit that, that, that you're on the wrong road. Admit that just as the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, admit that's, that you're in trouble. 
B, after admit, B, believe. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Believe that Jesus can put you on the right road. Believe that the road you're on does not have to be the road you're forever on. That Jesus can make a change in your life. And C, simply confess that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not maybe, not could be, you will be. It's as easy as ABC, allowing God to put you on the right road. I read this week a, a paper, it was titled, An Autobiography in Five Short Paragraphs. Paragraph one says, I walk down a street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I can't believe I'm in this deep hole. It takes forever to get my way out. Paragraph two, I walk down a street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in. I can't believe I've fallen in. It's totally my mistake. It takes a long time to get out. Paragraph number three, I walk down a street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it there. I still fall in. It's a habit. I keep falling into the same old hole. I can't believe it. It takes forever to get out. Paragraph four, I walk down a street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around the deep hole. I told you it's five paragraphs. Paragraph five, I walk down a different street. That's what God is offering to you. Not a way out of the hole, not a way to avoid the hole. God is offering you a whole new street. For, Jer for, for, for Rahab, it was a whole new life. Not in Jericho, not in that destroyed city. No, a whole new life that includes being part of the family of God. So much a part of the family of God. She's not sitting on the back row. She's sitting on the front row. She's a part of the lineage and the genealogy of Jesus. A, a prostitute from Jericho right there for all the world to see. And maybe God's plans, maybe God's plan you think it's just so crazy. I've got this going on and this problem and that situation. And I don't know how I'm going to overcome that. Sometimes God's plans don't always make sense. But when they're God's plans, you can be sure of this, they'll succeed. When God's plans is at work, we can trust him always. When we allow him to place us on the road, the right road, the road of holiness, then we can be sure of this, that God will take care. He always does. You may think your situation is impossible, that there's no way out. Don't believe it. There is hope in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for that wonderful hope that can be ours. When we trust you and get on the same page, on the right road with you, it doesn't mean that it's always easy. It doesn't mean that there'll never be issues or problems. It means that we have a friend in Jesus who will see us through. So thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this place. Thank you for your love for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.